part of blindsidepods.com. All right. Guest on the Menafan Show this week sitting in MHB's casting couch is Erica Nardini. She is the CEO of Barstool Sports. Erica, how are you? I'm great. How you doing? I'm great. I uh, planned this out to be a version of Business Insider, and we talked a little bit last night, and you want to go down more of the Menafan route, so maybe we'll go sideways here somehow. How'd you get to know Kirk? How did you know Kirk before Barstool? I mean, I knew Kirk from when I lived in Boston and just listening to sports radio and, you know, Kirk was a big person, has been a big personality in Boston forever. You guys know that, obviously. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I I was a fan of his when I lived in Boston. You know, Kirk was one of the greats, like he still is one of the greats, but he was, you know, he was a big, big deal in Boston. I think it was a big deal when Dave started Barstool. He certainly was a big deal when I lived there. Um, so I only knew him in that way as like a listener. Um, and then when I came to Barstool, I guess maybe, you know, he had guested on KFC radio a couple times. He came down to the office once or twice. And I, I, personally, I just always liked seeing him. I always liked Kirk very much. I thought his story was really compelling. I thought he was really honest. Um, I thought he was unafraid and kind of true to who he is, which is obviously something we like here. So mm-hmm. that's kind of how mm-hmm. I got to know him. And I, I had DM'd him a couple times when it looked like things were going south at EEI just to be like, Hey, you know, you, you should keep in touch with us. We'd love to keep in touch with you. Dave and I obviously talked about him a lot. Um, so that, that's kind of how I got to know him. I don't know if that answers your question, but when about was this in Boston? I don't think I've heard this, that you were a listener of EEI. I mean, I lived in Boston from till 2008. So I okay. lived in Boston from 98 to 2008 for the most part. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in and around then i mean you turn your car on in boston there's like felger or callahan or yep. minahane yep. like there's one of them is yapping on the radio so that was that was my experience so kirk tries to shoot his way out of intercom so to speak and he ends up at barstool what's that look like in terms of the recruitment phase you know i think dave and i had talked to kirk a couple of times when he was at intercom we uh, I can't remember if he was still there at the Super Bowl. I guess he wasn't. But, you know, we we always kept the lines of communication open. Obviously, Dave and Kirk go way back. So they, mm-hmm. you know, they talked a bunch. I was always in the wings waiting when it when the time was right. And it, it started to look like the time was clearly going to be right. Um, and, you know, it was, it was frankly pretty easy. It was pretty seamless. We saw things the same way. We could offer him things that Entercom couldn't or wouldn't. We, I think, would support him in a way that was different and he would have an autonomy that he didn't have there, which you know I think was important to him and certainly was important and kind of foundational for us. And it, it, was, it was awesome, like it was pretty easy. What would you say you offered him that Entercom couldn't? Creative freedom, uh, uh, autonomy, the ability to control his show, the ability to uh, the ability to think about advertising differently, uh, support. Um, I think those are the biggest things. Probably the freedom was the biggest one, to be honest. Mm-hmm. 
So Kirk's talked about that Portnoy wanted Kirk on Sirius XM, and you thought a daily podcast would be better, which Kirk agreed to. What made you think the podcast would be a better fit for Kirk's talents? I think Kirk is talented, and it really doesn't matter the format. I think a podcast is has the potential to be a far bigger business and a platform than a radio show. And so my preference with people here is that we grow brands that can grow into other things. They can grow into live shows. They can grow into merchandise. They can grow in social. Um, they can grow into video, all those things versus... So that's one. Two is that, you know, we have a radio lineup. We like our radio lineup. Kirk is obviously, a, you know, has huge prowess in radio. He would be great on Power 85. But this was was also a way where he could do something without any boundary time-wise, schedule-wise, hour-wise, and platform-wise that, that I think he and Dave and I felt would give him the biggest opportunity for success. Where would you, what would you say is, how do I put this? Because uh, I'm fascinated by the Sirius XM lineup and the channels and the crossover with the podcasts. What would you find your why around why you have the Sirius XM versus just having podcasts? What does Sirius bring you? Sirius brings us a couple things. So don't forget, so we've been on Sirius since, we've been on Sirius since December 2016, maybe? We had one show December 2016. Uh, and then we moved that to 12 hours of live radio, I want to say January or February 2017. So obviously Sirius saw the impact of Barstool fairly quickly. We moved from having, I think, a two, one two-hour show to an entire channel. It was the first time for us that we became linear. So we, you know, and by that I mean we had to show up and do, we have to show up every day and do 12 hours of consecutive live programming. At the time at Barstool, we weren't doing as much audio and video as we're doing now. And none of it, because we're from the internet, it's an internet company, nothing it's not linear so if you talk to people who come out of radio stations or who come out of television they're like hey what's at the nine o'clock hour what's in the nine o'clock hour or in the six o'clock hour what's in the a block b block c block d block right that's how media people mm -hmm. content people think and speak and act and and program and we were like all over the fucking place. Like we were making videos of this length and that length. Sometimes we did podcasts, other times we didn't. We wrote a lot of blogs. So Sirius forced us to do the same thing every day at the same time every day in generally a format that worked every day. So it, it gave us muscle as a company that we didn't have. We didn't have to, you know, when you make a podcast, you kind of like show up and record your podcast. You may pre-prepare some stuff but there's no time limit on it. There's no real schedule for it. There's no blocking of it. You know, some people have more produced podcasts than others, but serious, you know, one, we had to learn how to be good at radio. Two, mm -hmm. it gave mm -hmm. us a broadcast platform for the first time. And then three, it enabled us to create something that sat in the middle of the company that everything can orbit around and we can take conversation from. So, you know, in the reality show that's Barstool, 
Kirk comes on the radio, he's screaming at Willie, that goes into social, <laughs> that gets played out in Kirk's pod. So it kind of feeds the whole beast, if that makes sense. And that's why it, that's why it works for, worked and works for us. It doesn't feel now like Barstool is that company where there's a whole bunch of bloggers and a whole bunch of people on radio. It's hard to now remember, it's hard now to remember with Sirius there that it was about five guys not that long ago, less than like a presidential term ago. And now it feels normal that there's like 20, 30 guys that could wander in and out. So it sounds like what Sirius did is it gave some discipline, which helped you with other things. Yeah, it organized. It, it organized us. It gave us routine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, do you remember? I mean, 2016, like there was 12 bloggers, maybe 15 bloggers. Yeah, like a whole bunch of part-timers. Random people who kind of worked here. There was, you know, it, there was mostly a blog. It was most still mostly a blog at that point. And a blog that would crash a lot of times. I think that was the joke of we can't get a we can't get an IT guy to fix this. I remember I remember those days. I would only go to the Boston site. You could pick out. I only want the Boston stuff. Or I only want the Chicago stuff. I wasn't going to the other stuff because I I didn't live in that area. Totally. Remember, there was only like a couple random drop downs of the sports. And then there was a there was like Boston, Philly, New York, mm -hmm. Chicago, Iowa, like <laughs> yeah, Iowa out of nowhere. Trent hanging out there for Iowa. So it's we, we've it's come a long way. It's like it's it's evolved a lot. It had a lot of charm back then. and was awesome back then. Um, I mean, but it you're right. Like it was a janky it was a janky platform for sure. Yeah, that was that was Dave's joke all the time in those years of, oh, the website crashed again. Oh, we have this problem. Hey, do you know an IT guy? I wouldn't even think of that now. It, it's a mature website. Oh, we still like fuck a lot of stuff up. But <laughs> yeah, it's more mature. It's certainly more mature. I mean, we're, we've built a pretty awesome tech, tech team. I think they put up with a lot. They do a lot. We do a lot on a shoestring. But we don't have the type of, I think we forget it in here because it's like we're doing so much and we move, move fast. Like we don't, it wasn't that long ago. It was 2016. So it's less than three and a half years ago. Yeah, that, that's less than a presidential term. It's, it's yesterday and it doesn't feel like that anymore. At least for me, it doesn't. What do you think about Kirk coming? I was excited. So for me, Kirk is the successor to Stern. I was a huge Stern fan. I went to college in New York. I listened to Stern in the 90s. Uh, I, I got I went and took certain radio courses because I wanted to get in radio because I wanted to be like Howard Stern. And since Stern is, is not the Howard Stern that I used to listen to, Kirk was the closest thing. I used to listen to Kirk on the weekends. And I remember he had an interview with Jack Edwards where they just went at him on a weekend show. And I remember seeing stuff on social media with everything flying, saying it's it's unfair that you went after him. I'm like, boy, this is great. This is refreshing. This is different. And that's what I kind of liked about it is it felt like the days when I listened to Stern. I hadn't heard anything since that. I could identify with his mental issues. I could identify when he talks about alcoholism. I can identify with, you know, family issues, with with screaming at each other. I think in, in any type of workplace or family you have the gossiping, the backbiting, the friends, the people you don't like, you're on the outs with, that, that type of normal work relationship, and you're getting that on your right end. I think that's what I really loved about that show.
I love that. And what do you think about him here? Oh, he's awesome. It's it's an awesome show. Do you like him better on a podcast or in the radio, or do you care? Oh, definitely on the podcast. Um, I like so I listen to him mostly on podcast anyways because EEI put him up on a podcast. So I would listen live on the way in and I would catch up on the way home and then I would listen at other times. But I like the idea of I can just turn this on and turn it off whenever I want and not have to worry about listening to the hot Patriots takes and stuff. I listen to sports radio and I didn't like sports. So when they were playing Patriots stuff, I was done. This, it's it's just all of the stuff I would want to hear. And it sounds unrefined, the best way yeah. to describe it. It's just different. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think he is very relatable. I think he is excitable. Like he's a hothead in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like the amp, you know, like I say it about the barstool guys is like, they're pretty average guys. They're just funnier and they amplify the funniness. And I think Kirk amplifies the tension and, you know, being incredulous or he, he amplifies emotion. He also, I think points out things that are hypocritical and ridiculous really well. Um, and he's also pretty relentless. Like he's a, you know, he's a dog on a bone. I, I, I like that about him. Like he does, you know, he does a lot without a lot of fanfare. Like I remember he came down, I think he had left EEI and he came down to the Super Bowl with us. I want to say it was in Atlanta. Um, yep. and do you remember he was following Goodell down the hallway? Yeah, it was great. He actually got some news out of Goodell. And it was like, it was, but it was so funny. It was just like coming back from the gym. Like it was like three in the afternoon, like just in the gym, but he was like whipped out the periscope. I love a Kirk Minahan periscope, but like, I, I he that was the first periscope. That was the first time he ever did that. Like it wasn't a big production. He didn't make a lot of fanfare. He didn't ask for any help. He didn't need a production crew, but he saw, he saw a moment and he was asked a lot of good questions, which is what I think people want him to do and people like to hear from him i think a lot of people also look at that and say vicariously i wish i had the guts to have no filter and no fear at any time i'd like to say i could take my phone out and do that to someone like adele i probably couldn't it's it's not in my nature i'd probably just you know okay i'm gonna cower and and, and do that unless i knew i really had to do it the year before (laughs) entercom sent him on a private plane he had I, i guess by their by their standards, luxurious accommodations, an engineer, a producer. And there he is the next year by himself eating in Chipotle and just walking around with a camera getting better content than the traditional radio stations who have all the resources in the world. Totally. Yeah. What I mean, an that's awesome whole mantra. Like I don't, it just, you don't have the infrastructure that all traditional companies, radio, television, print built themselves on are just over like they're crumbling they're eroding they're afraid they don't know how to they don't know how to whip they don't know how to create a periscope at a chipotle and get a great scoop they like just literally don't know how to do it and if someone in those organizations were to do that they people would be like what the fuck are you doing like you're this this is bad for the brand like this isn't premium enough or this isn't produced enough or we haven't run this through seven supervisors and like i think that that's just over like i read a quote 
I heard a quote. It somebody... seems like, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, no, you it got seems it. like Sears's approach to Amazon, where Sears had the biggest catalog on the planet, biggest store on the planet, and they should have owned internet sales, and they turtled when they could have owned it. And it seems like that's the same thing for radio. Instead of embracing this different infrastructure where instead of having an expensive studio, anybody with a good internet connection and a good computer could be broadcasting to the world. It's Let's stick our head in, in the sand and say, well, we can get better quality. We can get better advertisers. We can get better value for our advertisers. And just seeing that the world had changed and I'm not willing to change with it. Yeah, no, 100%. Yeah, it's just incredibly cool that the infrastructure exists to do stuff like that. What do you think Kirk brings to Barstool in terms of a demographic that you didn't have before? Um, I think he brings, I think he keeps, he's connected to Boston, like so connected to Boston. And I think that's important that we're connected to Boston, frankly. Um, I think that he has, I mean, obviously I don't talk about the Minifans, but obviously mm -hmm. a hugely loyal, mighty, mighty audience, um, and a tribe that I don't know so much. Like if you were to look at it on paper as Kirk's audience, you know, if you look at the profile, is it that radically different from anybody else who watches or listens or reads Barstool. I don't know that it's that different. I mean, it's predominantly male, probably 70, 30, I would guess. I would say it's probably 25 to 54 years old, I'd say predominantly based in the Northeast, if not, you know, New England. Um, but what I think is different is the relationship that you guys have with Kirk and the the world you've the world he creates and that you guys create around him that's what i think is very different it's not the demographics he's incredibly available incredibly approachable um when we had the when we had the rally in sherborne and then we had the pizza afterwards at jack's abbey i walked around there and i'm like conrad thompson on something to wrestle does does these things where they charge people about a hundred hundred and fifty dollars to do a meet and greet with the hosts. And I look at that and I'm like, I think there's value in that. We did that for free and he talked to everybody and he took pictures. And I think if you do things like that, you get that type of loyalty. Mm -hmm. um, what do you want to know about the men of fans? I mean, how would you describe them? How would you describe them? Like, how do you describe the men of fans? So that's a really good question. Um, well, I know you got one in house in KFC. I'm not sure if it concerns you that he's been spending so much time with parody accounts and stuff, but there's that. Um, they're so different. Um, there's the old men of fans who, who came along from the WEI time. And then there's new people. I don't know. It, it's just, I would say for, they shouldn't be. There shouldn't be, and I foresaw that this would be a uh, like an NWO run-in of some type with our group and their group, and I don't, I, I think they're generally all the same, but it's like we're a Kirk person first and Barstool second, but it's the same audience that would love Barstool. Mm -hmm. But man, there are some times online that you're you're, if you're a Barstool person first, these groups tussle quite a bit. Oh, yeah, Sometimes you guys, they hate each other. Fans are a, a wild bunch. 
we're mostly pretty nice people. Like, if we all get together, we're generally pretty nonviolent, but we're very passionate. It's like it's our guy. It's like our this is our sports team is the best way to describe this. This is our Red Sox. This is our, our New York Giants. Yep, that's right. All right, so that's you, cool. I like that. You had some questions about my partner, MHB, last night. Yeah, so... This is going to be boring. I was what is that? The- I, was, I said, do you think this podcast is going to be boring? I was oh, I have the- no idea. If it's boring... Well, I get an opportunity to talk to you and I get the opportunity to learn about business because I like that stuff. Um, if you and I enjoy it, nobody else does. I say that's a that's a victory. A Either way, if Kirk thinks it's terrible, he's going to shit all over it, and it's going to make great content. All right, it's a win regardless. Yeah. So my buddy MHB. So this guy, um, he is sort of he was like sort of like a citizen broadcaster journalist type back last year, um, writing. So he's got like a little bit of a writing background. He was writing articles. He was doing a little investigation on the Murchison stuff and got some attention from that. We kind of hooked up over the winter, and he was going to be one of the people on this podcast, not like the main co-host. We were going to rotate some people out. And he actually had told me, I'm not going to do this regularly because I have my own podcast. And he just kind of stuck. And we had some really good chemistry. And this summer there were some things that just, he just was not the same. When the, he got doxxed, even though he's kind of doxxed himself with his, with his name, he's kind of pretty much said who he is. He's not, he wasn't hiding it too much, but he got doxxed. And he legit thought that KFC was involved in this. I can't imagine that Clancy would have any incentive or time or interest to be that involved with some guy in Twitter. But I, I swear to you, he was legitimately serious. KFC was involved in this has happened to me. And it's because of Clancy. And we've legit had on-air and off-air conversations about this. And I'm like, you're, you're kind of crazy, dude. Uh, I don't think it's the case. And I think that's part of what his appeal was. And there were some things with Benjamin Albright that happened. And he got a little skittish. He got a new job. He would disappear for periods of time. And then he disappeared and he he announced his retirement on Twitter, which is really a strange thing to do because you could just stop tweeting. You could do that. Uh, And he didn't. He just kind of disappeared. He never really responded to me. Then he popped up on Friday and it's been a guns a blazing for him. It's it's a it's strange. It's not the behavior I've seen from him, but it's strange. We had a whole bunch of fighting he is a fascinating guy. I, I think in, I would see him as a great bar stool person, a great writer, a great personality, but he, he takes a punch poorly. He has a bit of a glass jaw. And when he hears this, he's going to lose his mind. What would he say? Oh, he would, he would turn around and say, you know, how could you ever think that? I, you know, I'm, I'm, you, you never, he would turn it around and deflect. You never did this. You never did that. I don't see you writing. I don't see you around when we were we were doing this. And I would talk to him and say, uh, you're not really answering the question. You're deflecting now. Gotcha. But that's me. I'm just a little too logical for that type of stuff. All right. I hear you. Okay. That seems interesting. What else you got? What about Madawaska? You going to take a trip up for the ice fishing? When is it? 
It is. It is. Oh, that's so oh, terrible. That's so terrible. Uh, it's a, uh, it's, a, it's a, the I first week of February. Week of February. I don't, I have, the don't have the dates. Well, but it's in February. Where is it? New Hampshire? Maine. Maine. It's, it's as far north of Maine as you can go without going into Canada. Really? Like near Bangor? Yeah. Oh, farther north than that. Really? All of the accommodations are in Canada. How are you going to get there? Do you guys caravan or is it just like get your own way to Canada? I'm not going to be able to go. Um, Do you think that I run into the real life? You're standing as the president. Oh, I, I'm sure it is going to jeopardize my standing. I'm sure I'm going to get impeached over it. But sometimes I think the minifans are like Game of Thrones. Like you're you're all going to somebody's going to eat you while you're not ice fishing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I think it's closer to Dungeons and Dragons than it is Game of Thrones. It's sort of like game of thrones on a board game okay but yeah i like the logistics of having three kids runs into that of i don't know if i can jeopardize that yeah I hear my you. wife is uh i wasn't gonna go uh yeah, i've actually yeah. never been ice fishing i'm actually interested in it i'm hoping kurt comes to uh we're doing a pond hockey tournament in new hampshire he's talked and about it so I, one is the we should I don't know if there's any minifan hockey players, but we should get a team in there. Um, you know, it's funny you said that because Steve had asked about getting a minifan team in and they said, no, we can't do that. Well, the minifan team should get their shit together and register when the thing opens on Monday. OK, well, then that's the answer. Like a motivated bunch. You can do that. <laughs> that's what Kirk would say. Yeah, let's go. So Kirk and Steve talk openly about advertisers they're bringing in, and it seems like the New York sales team is only supplying with one or two or three advertisers on any given week. Is there any thought about leaving money on the table by not filling more inventory? I mean, I always think we can get better at that. I like, I like the way Steve and Kirk handle it, to be honest with you. I, first of all, I think the way Kirk and his team and Steve in particular, the way Kirk loves his advertisers is awesome. Like it's actually, as a business person, like inspiring. Like I, I actually, it's it's real. He has integrity about it. He means what he says. You know, he wants you to eat at Buffalo Wild Wings. Like mm -hmm. genuinely mm -hmm. is grateful for the support of Buffalo Wild Wings. I think Kirk's personal story makes the ad endorsement in the same way I, you know i feel like it's somewhat similar to dave when dave was first starting barstool like it means a lot when you throw your lot in with kirk and you get behind him and i think that the minifan i think you guys are awesome in terms of you know if it's troll socks if it's buffalo wild wings like you got you guys really show up with your support so i you know i would say we can always get better at selling things everybody kirk's team our team um, I think it's sometimes best and most authentic if Kirk's team takes the lead on selling stuff. I, I don't have any issue with that. I actually like it because it, it's they 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 know best who's going to be the best partners for them and whose message they want to get behind the most. It seems like that's sort of your leadership style of you go and get it, and I'm going to I'll give you the props on that if if you're going to take ownership of of your own shop so to speak, that entrepreneurial spirit. Am I reading that right? Yeah, like we're, as a company, we're really entrepreneurial. Our sales team does, you know, some things are easier to sell than others. They do a better job with some things versus others. Like, you know, I, I always am pushing for improvement across the board here, myself included. 
but I also think, look, if, I mean, those guys are hungry. They eat what they kill. So let's go. Like, it's great that they do that. I'm very supportive of it. Do you think any of the Barstool salespeople would be less likely to help Kirk because of all the jabs that he's given them? So he's talked about, he's quoted some figures of maybe 100,000 downloads a month per episode. What did you see as realistic for the, uh, listenership, however you want to measure that, versus what it is today? And, and then what do you see as the ceiling? I don't think that there's, I think only Kirk can decide what the ceiling is. I think we didn't know. I mean, we don't have, we have only one other podcast that's a daily, and it's, it's a short form news podcast or politics news kind of satire podcast. So, the hard factor. Hard factor, right. Mm -hmm. So for Kirk to be doing a multi-hour daily podcast is a, is a big endeavor. Um, and I would actually ask you how you feel about that. Like, would you rather it be three days a week? Do you like that it's five days a week? Is it too Love long? Love that it's five days. Yeah. I started thinking about this, that he is now a poor... So I'm one of these people that was bitching to him that, I want him to be the next Rogan. I want him to be as big as Rogan. I want him to be as big as, as pardon my take, because I think he has the talent for that. And then I started thinking about those aren't really daily podcasts. They may come out multiple times a week, but they're not really, you're going to see it every single day for three hours. And I can't think about, a, I can't think of a lot of the daily podcasts that are super successful. The one that comes to mind is Tony Kornheiser, which is, not in in this category i think this it's it's a very small different category of a daily podcast versus a weekly one and i'm not sure how you measure that so if he's not charting on itunes where you might want him does that even is that even a real measure so if you're doing really well every single day and consistently growing does that make you the best at what you do you know, I think that, look, I think the biggest thing is that it, consistency matters, conversation matters, audience audience loyalty really matters. Like Joe, Joe Rogan is arguably one of the best. I think he has an interview style and a nature of what he's doing that's, you know, that's really interesting. I think he's an incredible interviewer. I think in terms of Kirk, like Kirk is a great conversationalist. He's also... You know, he understands controversy. He understands, you know, he understands what buttons to push and how to push those buttons. I think he's, it's less of an interview. It's more Kirk's world. Mm -hmm. And that's, that flows. So to, you know, kind of your earlier question of like, how big can it be? It's how big does it, does Kirk want it to be? Does Kirk want to be regional? Does Kirk want to be national? 
where does where's where are his eyes and where's his mouth i think that's what that's what matters like that's how big this thing will go i i'm it's not going to be on me or on dave to dictate where that goes that's that's totally kirk's call um and you see that with a lot of people here right like if you look at you know you look at pardon my take like those guys have aspiration to be a very very big sports slash football really sports sports media podcast they're the biggest sports podcast in the world that's their that's their aspiration i don't i don't know that that's kirk's aspiration i think kirk has kirk uh, and I also don't know that that's something that Kirk would plot. Like, I think Kirk is Kirk. People love that. Uh, he, you know, he's so creative. He needs an outlet for it. But I don't, I don't see him manipulating his product, if that makes sense, to be anything besides what it is. And obviously, we're really supportive of whatever that might look like. So it sounds like regardless of if he's happy doing what he's doing, even doing this, Barstool's happy. So what's different between you and regular radio then? Because everything that you're talking about, of what I know about radio, this is the opposite of what would be done. Yeah, I mean, at a radio station, Kirk would have like a white guy in his 40s or 50s in like some dingy office who would be like, rant, rant, rant. I don't like that you said this. You shouldn't have said that. Like, why did you, why did you do this? Why did, you should have done that. I told you to do this. Like, the level of micromanagement in traditional media is stifling. Uh, it creates commoditization. It creates fear. It creates it just creates lackluster content for for the most part. And you see it in Boston, obviously. Like you see the hand slapping when you know, and people go too far. That's the nature of the beast. And there, and there are certainly exceptions to this. There's phenomenal sports media and media personalities in Boston. I think Boston's one of the best sports and media markets in the world. I don't think anybody's more passionate about sports than people in Boston. People are crazy. Like they, they, mm -hmm. it's awesome. Like it's, but I, I think that's the nature of fans and it's the nature of sports. And I think Kirk just brings that to life. But the difference is, is that, you know, one, we want Kirk to be Kirk. Two is we want Kirk to be happy. Three, we want to help him be happy and be Kirk. And we most, for the most part, leave him alone to do so. And because I'm confident that one, he knows the line and, you know, two, he can follow it. And if, if we need to talk about stuff, we're all, you know, we're here and available and we do that. Um, and it's also, we, you know, we have a partnership where we, we both want the same things. And I think that that's the difference in being part of a platform versus being talent on somebody else's show. What has been your experience with Bob Murchison? He's the boogeyman in this world. What do you know of him? What did you know of him beforehand? People love to hear Bob Murchison stories. Is there any Bob Murchison story you can tell? I mean, I think that there's, obviously Kirk tells the stories best and they're, they're frankly not even stories. I think it just seems real. I was not, I wasn't super familiar with Bob and the history with Bob and Kirk before Kirk came to, Bar, to Barstool. I had had one conversation about it before he came to be honest with you, I thought it was something that was very isolated to 
you know, comments made a long time ago and to EEI. I, I, I maybe was naive that, that a, about what it was and that it would follow him here. Um, and look, I think the whole thing is unfortunate. I have a lot of, I have a lot of empathy for how Kirk has felt and, you know, that someone has been stalking him and that someone picks apart his radio show or his podcast every day and sends that to hundreds of people. Um, I have a lot of empathy for that. Uh, obviously, Bob was someone who was, you know, offended slash hurt slash motivated by Kirk and, you know, what Kirk had talked about or continued to talk about or the mentioning of Bob. Um, and he had the means to, you know, he had the means to become an activist in that, which is his prerogative. Um, so, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is I'm glad it's behind Kirk first and foremost, and I'm glad, you know, it's behind all of us. I, I, I think that, I think that was really hard for Kirk, to be honest. Like I, I, you could feel the toll of it. And I think that that's, that, that's really hard. I think it would be hard for anybody if you put yourself in that position of you have a job and you're doing your job and you feel like you're doing it well and somebody is winning at sabotaging you. There's that feeling of I have no control yet I've done nothing wrong. And I think that is one of those things that connects with people with Kirk of that feeling of if this was me in my position, I would feel the same way that you can identify so let's say, uh, we'll leave with this one. I'm kind of curious with this. If you were, let's say you were the head of, you, were, you owned Entercom, and you owned a whole bunch of sports radio stations, and you now had to go to terrestrial radio, what would you do different? I mean, I think you have to stop thinking, nothing, there's no boundaries to anything anymore. Like, the first thing is, like, a radio show is not a radio show is not a radio show. Like, it's... You know, it's a personality, it's a, a storyline, it's an audience, it's a fan base, it's social, it's it's experiential. Like, so, you know, I think the biggest thing if I ran Entercom is, all right, who are the brands that we have? Who are the personalities people care about? How do we get behind them? How do we put like guns, money, and steel behind the, the brands and the people who we think differentiate this network or this particular station? Um, how, and I would look at, you know, it's, it's not just advertising. It's not just ratings or tune in. It's really like, what's the conversation happening? How would we intercom if that's what I was doing? How do we become the most interesting, the most compelling, the most dynamic, the most diverse, diverse or diversified station network show in whatever market. Like that's, that's how I would think about it. But I don't think people at Entercom think that way because they think radio. So they probably are like, you have no idea what you're talking about and that wouldn't work. But I don't know. I don't run a radio station. So that's well, that. Well. Erica, thank you so much for spending some time with us. I think people will enjoy this behind the scenes and the fact that if there's one takeaway, it sounds like Barstool and you have Kirk's back no matter what they hear on the air. Awesome. I'm just glad it's not boring after some egg keeps calling me boring. But the Minifans, I'm sure, will tell me. <laughs> um, but anyways, I think that, like, thanks for having me. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Kirk. I'm glad he's here. 
I think the Minifans are something special. So just thanks for, th thanks. I think that what I really like about you guys is you give, you give it as much as you get it. And mm -hmm. I think you are all very vocal and you're very loyal and he's your guy. And I, th I think that's a really lucky, lucky, special thing. And I think in the end, even though we fight with the barstool people, if, if there was a fight externally to barstool, it's sort of like you're fighting with your sister or your brother, but now it's in the family and fat and you like all love up on one another. Yeah. 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 I don't think it's bad. I don't think tension is bad. I think there's a lot of good things that come out of tension. Yeah, uh, it's, it's just broadcast. It's just radio. Yeah. Exactly. It's just a podcast. That's right. It's never real <laughs> when it's on the air. It's never real. That's right. hundred percent. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I really appreciate it, Erica. You've been the best. Okay, cool. Thanks a lot. Have a good night.